Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we ask that uh, you would speak to our hearts as we look at your word together, that you would uh, shape and mold us. Lord, we ask that you would bring uh, hope and life and encouragement. We also pray, Jesus, that if there are places in us where we need uh, to be cleansed and to be made right, that you would do that work in us. Um, Father, we pray for those who are grieving today and for those who are hurting that you would come alongside with your comfort and your peace. And we ask these things uh, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, I was thinking this week of how to introduce this sermon, and I was imagining, and you can imagine with me, say uh, we were all skating together. You're out skating. Some of you enjoy skating. And uh, we can't do that right now, but we will soon enough, unfortunately. And uh, we're out skating together. And imagine someone in the midst of all of our skating came into the middle of, of the area with a bunch of hockey sticks and just started passing them out. What would your reaction be? You would think someone is implying that we are playing a game, right? Someone thinks we're going to shift gears and start to play hockey. And uh, the act of giving you the hockey stick would be uh, implying several things, expecting that you could play also, that you can join in on the game, right? Of course, you might say, I'm here to skate, thank you very much. But the idea being, if you're handed the thing, you should know what to do with it. Or perhaps uh, you may think of a different sort of sport. You're handed the instrument of the sport and expected to know what to do with it. Or you come to a class and you're given paper and a pencil, you're expected to take notes. Or you come into work and you work outside somewhere and you're handed a rake, you're expected to know how to use it, right? Well, this psalm, this psalm is really something that God has handed us. And I want you to imagine it in that way. What has God handed us in this psalm? And, and what, by the nature of being, being given this psalm, are we expected to do with it? In the same way you might be given the hockey stick and expected to play, you've been given this psalm. And what is implied by being given this psalm? We're expected to know how to pray it and how to live it. And we're expected to know how to respond in the way this psalm invites us to respond. What's interesting about this psalm is, of course, it's all about affliction. It's all about the persecution of the people of God. Look again at verse 1 and 2. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Starts out sort of with an individual saying it, but then look at the next phrase. It says, let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. This sense that it's not just a person experiencing trouble, though that is true, but that this is Israel as a nation saying, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Now you may go back through the story of Israel and think of the various trials that the people of God experience, even laid out in Scripture, before they're even Israel. As the patriarchs, we think of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and what they go through. Or we think of Israel as a young nation, uh, more of a ragtag group of tribes uh, under Egypt and the slavery they experienced. Or you may think of the wilderness wanderings and uh, the hardships that they encounter on the way. And then we may think even of, of the United Kingdom under David, and then the divided kingdom, 
later on as uh, the kings from David's line uh, fail often in upholding uh, the covenant and the law of the Lord. We may think then of the exiles that come as Babylon and Assyria come to wipe out Israel and Judah as God uses those moments to bring his people back to himself. And so Israel has been a nation under affliction. And in the same way, we can say that the people of God, uh, the church, are a people who know affliction. Uh, around the world today, there are those who are experiencing persecution because of their faith in Jesus. Uh, and it may not seem as prevalent to us here in the West, but uh, for many, many in the church, that is their reality. Uh, and, and we may ask as well, I think there's moments where this happens uh, for us to say, is it out of the question for us to anticipate persecution here in our time? And I think this psalm tells us to expect in some measure uh, an intentional persecution of God's people. Now that doesn't mean we go looking for it, doesn't mean we try to make it happen in some, some you know, kind of bizarre way. But to simply say this is part of our story, that as people seek to be faithful to God, there are those that seek uh, to respond in anger and hatred towards the people of God. And so while we experience freedom and peace now, and we are thankful for that, we're also well aware that this is part of our story. And it's not just a part of our story in the sense that uh, there's some enemy out there trying to destroy us. That is true. But it's actually part of God's plan to allow affliction and persecution for his people. If you go back to Genesis 3, uh, which is describing the fall uh, between uh, God and humanity, there's a line that speaks of the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, that there'll be enmity between those who seek to be faithful to God and those that seek to follow the enemy. And God puts that enmity between uh, the faithful and those who do not know God in such a way that you might say light and dark do not mix. Now, that doesn't mean that God has written off all who are in darkness. Of course, the gospel is about inviting all who are in darkness into his light and into his salvation and into his love. But we see right there at the beginning of the biblical story this idea of enmity between the people of God and those that oppose God. And that God allows that and has actually intentionally done that in some sense. And so that's the first thing I want to mention from this text this morning is we're called to expect that affliction happens. It shouldn't be a shock. It shouldn't be a shock when we are uh, hated for our faith. Jesus says, they hated me, so they will hate you. And it shouldn't be a shock when life is, just has its difficulties. We live in a fallen world. Things are not all as they should be. Uh, and in fact, I would caution you, uh, if you're listening to Christian speakers who speak only of prosperity and health and wealth, that's a dangerous game to be playing. Uh, in fact, I would say it ignores the hockey stick that we've been given. It ignores a passage like this, which points to the reality of affliction. So to be careful with that. So that's the first thing is we're called to expect some measure of that in our lives. Think, man, that's really downer. 
Ah, thanks, Nick. Let's go eat the soup. Well, the second point's a little more uplifting. Look at verse 2. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And then here's sort of the turning point. Yet they have not prevailed against me. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I've been afflicted, but they have not prevailed against me. There's been trouble in my life, but it has not completely overwhelmed me. There's been difficulty and real hardship, but it's not the end for me. And it's not the end for me because the Lord is righteous and he is good. And so we find here not just the expectation that affliction will happen, but a call to worship. That in the middle of suffering, we're called to uh, acknowledge that God is present in the middle of this. That he is still good. I, I remember working with a fellow in B.C., and uh, one, of his, one of his ministries was about really helping young men with, um, with their thought lives and uh, particularly different addictions and temptations in their lives. And one of the things he would do, and he would encourage uh, the guys to do, is that as soon as this unclean thought would cross your mind or as soon as you were tempted uh, towards this, this addiction that you were struggling with, he say, you just say out loud, no. You announce it as no. You stop it there in the tracks. You say no. And then you turn it into praise. You turn what the enemy would make as an opportunity for temptation into a moment of worship. And you say, no, I resist that thought or that temptation to do that thing. Lord Jesus, I choose instead to worship you. And you see that same sort of moment here in this psalm, that while affliction comes... Yet, yet, they have not prevailed against me. There's a turning from looking at the affliction to recognizing God and his goodness. Um, so often, where our gaze is determines what we focus on. Isn't that true? And in the middle of suffering, when we're focused in on the suffering, that sometimes is all we can see. Uh, and yet, here the psalm invites us to acknowledge the suffering. We don't pretend it's not real. I know there's people who do that. Well, I'm not actually hurt. Well, I'm sorry, but you really are, you know. I'm not actually sick. No, you really are. It's okay to be honest about it. And yet, uh, we acknowledge God's goodness in the midst of that. It's the same theme you see in the beautiful moment in The Lord of the Rings when uh, the clouds and the darkness of Mordor are shadowing over Frodo and Sam, and Frodo's despairing over the weight of the ring. He just can't bring it. He can't do it. And Sam looks up and sees a star through the clouds. And he says, look, beyond the clouds is beauty and wonder and hope. And there's a hope beyond the darkness that's right in front of us, that things are still good, that someone was still looking out for them, that there was hope in the journey. In the same way for us, sometimes those clouds feel really dark. But there's hope and life uh, beyond them, beyond our circumstances. And so we're invited to worship and I think also of, of, say, Paul and Silas. I was uh, listening to a devotion this week. Uh, got to that portion in Acts where Paul, I think it's Paul and Silas. Maybe, no, maybe it's Barnabas. Forget where I was exactly. But they're in jail. Of course, Paul's in jail a couple times. Um, and they're worshiping, right? They choose to worship in the place of imprisonment. And that says something about our attitude. I think worship is the appropriate response, folks, regardless of our circumstances. Because worship is about pointing our hearts back to what's true. 
And what's true is that God is still good. Our circumstances can change, and they can change really quickly. And my emotions about my circumstances can change really quickly. My emotions are not what I set my theology on. My emotions are not very reliable, actually. Um, so what I need to do is, even in my despair or my anxiety, I look to God, to the one who is my firm foundation, as we sang this morning. Uh, the one who won't fail me yet. The one who is still faithful and good in the midst of this. And so yet, they have not prevailed against me. Verse 2. Look at verse 3. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long furrows. That passage, I don't know about you, but it's, it's very easy for me to remember Jesus and his own suffering for our sin and the whipping that he takes for us. Um, I don't probably need to go into the details of Roman whips, but they're not pleasant. And uh, others, including Paul, experienced a lot of, of persecution and suffering, uh, actual physical uh, pain and, and hatred and torture as well. And so while you have the plowers plowing upon my back, they made long their furrows, the sense of affliction. Look at verse 4. But the Lord is righteous, and he's cut the cords of the wicked. And what's pictured here, notice, notice God's cutting the cords almost like he's cutting the whip. It's not a prayer, God, would you whip my enemy? It's, it's, it's not a, God, would you destroy them? Look at verse 5. What is actually prayed here is, may all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. What the psalmist does is he, he worships, he prays, and then this is sort of our third point. He prays for God's justice. And so he expects affliction. He worships God in the midst of the affliction, recognizing that there's hope and goodness and life even in this sorrow. And then he prays for his enemies. He prays for those who are instigating this affliction, this pain, this suffering, this persecution, whatever it is. And he prays not that God would uh, turn it back on them, but in this psalm he prays that God would confound their plans. He prays that their, their ideas, their plans, their hopes, their agendas would be uh, destroyed, turned, cut. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Look at verse 6. He says, let them be like the grass on the housetop which withers before it grows up. That grass on the housetop, of course, the, their roofs are m mostly thatch, right? So you've got straw and mud and clay and stuff up there. And you can imagine uh, grass would sprout from that. But it's kind of useless grass. It's like grass in the cracks of your driveway uh, or in a sidewalk, right? What do you do with that grass? You don't harvest it. You don't gather it up and do something with it. You probably apply weed killer or you meticulously pull them out if you're particularly young and like playing on sidewalk cracks or you just kind of stomp on it, right? Look what he says here. Let them be like the grass on the housetop which withers before it grows up because it's not useful with which the reaper does not fill his hand or the binder the sheaves of his arm because this grass isn't worth anything. It, it's fruitless. It's futile. And this is what the psalmist prays for those that are giving affliction. I think there's a call for us 
here to also, we're called to pray for those in authority. We're called to pray for those in leadership. And we're called to pray for their salvation. We're called to pray that God would bless them. But we don't need to pray that God would bless every evil design that may be pushed in our world. And I think especially in a time where we see uh, particularly more secular agendas and ideologies in our time, it's perfectly appropriate for us to pray that those plans would be confounded, that they'd be put to naught, even as we pray for the, for the salvation and the hope of those who maybe make those plans. I think that's an appropriately Christian response uh, to those that are sometimes in leadership that we may not always agree with. Would you turn with me? This is the last passage I'm going to going to bring up here before we head to the table. This is in First Peter. Oh, I've lost it. It disappeared from my Bible. No, here it is. First Peter, chapter four, verses twelve to nineteen. I want to read this passage because it speaks to this idea of affliction and and expecting it, but also wrestling with it as Christians and recognizing God as present in the midst of it. It's a good sort of parallel to our psalm. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Right? So that, again, the call to expect when this happens. And then our second point, which was worship, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And go down to verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, and here's the call to us, again, this question of how do we respond to affliction, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so, friends, we entrust our souls to God even in the midst of trials and affliction. We don't just stop there and sort of leave ourselves to wallow in it. But what's he say the second half of verse 19? We entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We continue to love God and love our neighbor, even when things are difficult. And I don't know about you this morning, but I imagine there's some of us who are feel we're experiencing affliction of some kind or another. It may not be someone coming at you for your faith. It may just be the reality of the brokenness of living in a world that longs for God's renewal and redemption to come fully. But even if you're not experiencing affliction today, the Bible reminds us that uh, we can expect it. And when it does come, we're called to continue to do good, to continue to worship, and to pray that God would confound the plans of enemies even as we wait for his justice and his mercy to come. And so as we, as we pray and as we come to the table today, let's, let's make this an act of worship, maybe in some ways an act of, of uh, declaring 
God, we still put our hope and our trust in you. You're the one who feeds us. You're the one who sustains us even as we go through uh, the difficulties in this life. Amen. Let's pray together to that end. Lord, this morning I want to thank you for your great love for us, and I thank you that um, sometimes it, it seems kind of mysterious, Lord. We don't understand why you let things happen in our lives. But your word uh, is given to us to give us appropriate means to respond to that brokenness and affliction in our lives. And today, Lord, you call us to expect that things are not always easy, to worship even when it's difficult, and also to look ahead with hope to your coming justice, that you will set things right. Thank you, Lord, that it's not up to us to set it all right, because we would make a mess of it. But Lord, we thank you, you set things right. We pray that in the big picture of our world where we see violence and war and, and broken systems that just don't make sense, where there's injustice, Jesus, would you come and set things right? We pray that over our city and our church, Lord, where there's um, brokenness in relationships or in systems close to home. We pray that you would make things right. And perhaps uh, most personally, Lord, we recognize there's affliction in our households, there can be brokenness in our marriages or in our relationships with family or spouses, whatever that might be. We think of our workplaces, Lord, where sometimes we feel most acutely that sense of potential affliction as we seek to live for you. And so, Lord, I pray for each one who's here. You've put us and planted us in particular places. I pray that you would help us uh, to not be surprised when difficulty comes, but that you would uh, grace us, Lord, with an attitude of worship, that we turn to you. And Lord, would your justice come, your righteousness and your goodness prevail in every part of your world. We ask these things in your name. Amen.